The interviews and discussions in this podcast are opinions only and not financial or investment advice. Listeners should obtain independent advice based on their own circumstances before making any financial decisions. This episode of the Stock Insiders podcast with me, Oriel Morrison, is sponsored by Barclay Pierce Capital, a leading Australian corporate advisory and equities trading firm. Focused on your vision, Barclay Pierce specialises in making it a successful reality. Hello and welcome to the Stock Insiders podcast with me, Oriel Morrison. Now, today we're looking at Epic Agile, which is a full-service agile transformation business. Now, this is a company which helps to mentor and also coach business leaders as they focus on digital transformation. I'm joined today by co-founder and business agility strategist, Rob Gaunt. Rob, welcome. So good to have you with us today. Thank you very much. And it's a pleasure to be here. Now, Rob, you're one of the co-founders of Epic. Um, you've been leading tech teams for some time, mm-hmm. um, but you've got a really interesting story because I understand that you weren't a huge fan of this type of business to start off with. Yeah, uh, good point. Yes, <laughs> when I began using agile ways of working and um, thinking outside of the box, at that time, this is way back in, I don't know, 2001, 2002, 2003, I was pretty much brainwashed to be a quite a senior project manager at the time. And, you know, I'd learned through the methodologies how you should do things. And I saw agile and agile ways of working at the time as a very much a cowboy movement. Um, it was breaking all of the rules I truly believed in. And uh, so I, I I only came into it kicking and screaming. I didn't really want to do it. But for various reasons that I probably don't have time to explain today, I needed to. And six months later, I became an evangelist for it. Um, I was certainly a convert. And um, and here I am, I don't know, what is it, a decade later, and, and I'm running an organization that's probably one of the largest in Australasia doing exactly that, teaching people how to do these agile ways of working. So you're one of the co-founders of, of, of this particular business. What was it in your history and your career history that has brought you to where you are today? Sure. Look, ultimately, I've, I've, I got into transformational activities, transformational programs of work um, over that last 10 years. Um, before that, I was running them in, a, in an older, older, more traditional way of doing it. But um, in this new way of working sort of movement, um, you know, I, I, I started down this path and Throughout that, I was a freelancer. I was doing contracting work. I then started to gravitate towards the consultancies. And, you know, I think the thing that um, that struck me every time we did it is that, you know, they were trying to do new ways of working, but using old ways of working to to implement these changes. And the thinking hadn't moved as fast or shifted as far as it needed to. The paradigm hadn't shifted. So um, ultimately, I came across my now business partner, Brad, and we decided that we um, we wanted to do this together. So we started up Epic and the rest is history. Has it been a, a very difficult or different journey actually founding and running a company as opposed to what you've experienced in your previous career history? Oh, look, it definitely has. Running a business is is a whole set of skills that, that they don't teach you as you're learning um, new ways of working and project delivery and that sort of thing. So the people side of things is probably the most difficult thing. But I guess we've been very lucky. We've come across a really beautiful way of, of creating a human-centric view on transformational activities. It used to be in the 80s about and 90s about, you know, cost out. Now it's about how do I how do I make these amazing people into into an asset for the organization that can be unleashed? And how do I how do I leverage that thinking, that beautiful creative thinking that they bring, you know, to really take the organization to where it where it aspires to be. And and so for us, we were very lucky to be on the on the wave of that. And so we've been um, we've been surfing that wave 
for the last five years. What exactly is business agility for those out there who haven't heard of it before? It's a good question. So it continues to morph in market what they describe it as. But when we first got into, you know, beyond agile, which is relatively well understood sort of a thing, it's been around for, you know, 20 odd years. Um, but th- when it comes to business agility, what we recognize is that Agile can only take you so far. And in many cases where people are using Agile um, to help their organizations rethink and their systems and rethink their processes, basically this goes beyond, beyond that and into almost every element of your business. So there is no uh, start and end of what business agility looks at. And Agile is only one of very many tools and disciplines that you need to bring into it. Fundamentally, people are chasing business agility or enterprise agility or whatever they want to call it because they're looking to um, enable their organization to shift or pivot very quickly without uh, losing the cohesion in between. So the whole of organization sometimes needs to shift towards a new strategy or to take advantage of an opportunity in market or to meet a challenge that that has arisen, such as COVID, for example. And their ability to um, to change their organization at the grassroots level, the DNA of the organization is limited by their internal capabilities in that regard. Most organizations are set up um, for a, uh, a, a, a state of, of um, no change, you know, drive out costs, reduce risks, improve the processes until they're perfect, et cetera, et cetera. But with the way that the world is going at the moment, they're looking for an organization that can they can still do all of that, but but acknowledge that um, the ability of the organization to p- pivot and twist into different places and in different ways of working and thinking is actually the real strategic advantage over everybody else. Mm, absolutely, which seems to indicate that you are almost helping companies behave like startups, if, if you like. So, so does that mean you work with the bigger corporates or medium-sized, yeah. or, or do you work with startups too? We, we do all of the above. You're absolutely right. We, we, we like to describe it as we're injecting lean startup thinking into the enterprise. Now, that, re- that means different things to different organizations, mostly depending on size. Enterprises desperately need it. Um, so they, the reason is startups are eating their lunch and they, they need to be more reactive and they need to be faster to market with their value proposition and, and with whatever it is, services or products that they sell, whatever that might be. Startups are still really good. They've always been really good at, at, um, at pivoting at a moment's notice, depending on you know what's happening with their product and um, service. And uh, but they need they need to learn a little bit about how do I do this that's so it's sustainable and so that um, you know while we're chasing that dream, whatever that might be, you know we're also innate. We're not losing the people in the process. We bring it to all sides of organizations. I think the bigger ones are the ones that need it the most, but even the smallest of them, the current startups, they, they still need to have some structure around what they're doing. Well, what about the people that you work with um, when it comes to this kind of transformation? I mean, clearly for a company to come and see you in the first place, they recognize that they do need to change or make some changes. Do you find that you're working with people that are embracing this kind of change? The answer is absolutely we do. Um, you're right. They, we don't have people coming to us that say, I don't know what to do. Um, can you help me with my strategy? No. W- what we do have is we have people who have probably worked with, you know, some of the tier one sort of consultancy, strategy consultancies who have said, you know, your organization is is not um, evolving rapidly enough in market or you need to in- inject this kind of capability within your organization, otherwise you will fall behind, whatever it might be. And then they come to us because we've got the um, we've got the runs on the board to show that we can 
safely and you know as risk averse as possible implement that change and also the way we do it is enabling that organization to take on this capability moving forward so you're not going to necessarily need epic to come in three years later and do it again which is what typically happens in transformation someone external comes and does it to you and then they leave the building and either it all falls down or it's set set in as a solid state moving forward and then something else happens and they need to get them back. Where Epic is different in that regard is we coach the organization to make the change and once we've left the building, it sticks. And next time they need to make the change, they might get us in just to help us help round the, you know, help round the, um, the sharp edges out or to add a little bit of more subject matter expertise or close a gap but generally they, they're able to make the changes themselves next time as long as they haven't churned out the people that were involved in the first place <laughs> good point yes that would change things um so yeah. rob without can you give us some some kind of examples of the type of type of things and changes that you've made i mean obviously without giving away or breaching mm. any kind of client confidentiality what sort of metrics you use to measure success yeah it's a it's another great question uh so every organization is um you know different in what are they trying to achieve speed to value is very often um the thing that they're looking for um although not exclusively they're usually looking for three or four things in this process so but let's take speed to value for example um so ultimately what they're looking to do is to is to um, you know, grow their market share through the implementation of new products or services, maintain their market share by, you know, beating the competition at um, something that they're, they're both doing at this present time and they, they want to leapfrog the other. Um, but really what it comes down to is they, they, need to, they need to either protect what they've got or they need to grow what they, what they want. And to do that, they need to get their products and services out there very rapidly. They need to test them and then where they need to make changes, they need to a- adjust very quickly. Um, so what we would typically look at there, the first, the first thing is that probably the less obvious thing for them is what I find is the greatest um, break, if you like, on an organization's ability to shift and quickly pivot and you know, push out products and services faster is the waste that's in the system. So the amount of waste that an organization has, let's just describe it as inherited or built up over time, um, is quite incredible. And that's the thing that startups don't have. They don't have that, um, you know, they don't have all of the, those years, potentially decades, or if not hundreds of years of, um, of um, waste built into their system and into their DNA. So what we do is we look for that waste and we try to remove that. And by removing the waste, which is the biggest impact, um, then you can quite rapidly change um, an organization's ability to get product or services out to market. So that's one metric we'd look at. There's heaps of others. Decision-making is another big um, area that we would be looking into. Um, the bigger the organization and the larger the politics involved, the larger the you know, governance um, complexity that's involved, then the longer it takes for decisions to be made. Um, also, the higher the risk for decisions um, to be made because um, there's so much at risk. and we're not sure that the right people are ranking the right decision. Look at the Royal Commission in Banking, for example. Mm. Um, so we look at decision-making and we want to make sure that the right people have got the authority they need to make those decisions and that they're making them um, as quickly as they should. And, um, and that they're even aware that there's some decisions there to be, to be made. So the more complex the environment, the harder it is for them to keep on top of um, where they need to be spending their time and what they need to be deciding on. Does this mean that the number one issue in a lot of these companies that you are brought into is communication? Yeah, communication, collaboration, transparency, um, you know, even to be honest, even 
there are senior members of of organisations we've worked with that are really unclear about um, what decision authority they even have. They're not sure why they attend some of these meetings, but they know that someone from their department or their you know, business unit or something needs to be there. And then they attempt to make the right decisions. They're trying to do the right things, but it may be ultimately that um, that they don't even um, have that authority to make those decisions, as an example. Um, so, yeah, I think what we find all the time is that the more complex the environment, the harder it is for people to really have clarity in any way, shape or form. Clarity about what's happening around them, clarity about what their role and responsibilities are, um, clarity about whether they're performing, whether the the hypothesis that they might have come up with in the strategy last year is actually working or not. Do they need to pivot? Um, should they continue to persist with what they were doing? That clarity and transparency is not readily available in a lot of organisations. So we help mm. them with trying to get that. Now, what's changed in how you're doing business and what sort of business you're doing since COVID? Because the way that we work has changed rapidly. The pace of innovation has increased, um, you know, significantly since COVID hit. Mm. So you'd have to imagine that companies are needing to affect change in a much faster way. Absolutely right. The the, the amount of work that we're um, being challenged with um, supporting in, in industry at the moment is insane. You know, our organisation has doubled in the last five months just on the back of the amount of demand that there is in market. Everybody's feeling it. The, there are really forward-thinking organisations that um, are wanting to take advantage of these quite amazing opportunities that are out there at the moment if you could if you can get on board quickly enough and, and adapt fast enough. And there's a whole lot of organizations that are very scared that if they don't, if they don't develop this capability, then they are going to fall behind. In fact, they're seeing some of their competitors already starting to streak ahead. The, and the whole, as you say, the, it's not just the companies themselves, government policy is changing rapidly. You know, their propensity for allowing innovative practices such as, you know, in the pharma industry and things like that to um, to happen in ways that they would be undreamt of before is is rapidly evolving and, and creating these opportunities and challenges. So yeah, since COVID, everything's changed. Most organizations who haven't invested in this kind of thinking and this kind of adaptability in the past are really having to get on board now and, and everybody's calling up. And it's 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 an exciting time actually for those organizations that are willing to invest in this space. And we're seeing really big benefits coming out of it, you know, whether it be engagement with staff, whether it be, you know, their ability to to think differently when they're wondering about how do we adapt our processes now that our people are working from home. Line managers can't see, physically see what their team are doing on a regular basis. So they need to put other tools and practices in place that have never existed before. And, and that's not a natural fit for a manager to be asked to do because you know they're supposed to be right sitting in there controlling but now they actually have to trust and they need other mechanisms other metrics to look at to be sure that what their team are doing is the right thing and they are working as hard as they possibly can on it whereas before they could just witness it so yeah things are really changing fast in market now you're an international organization already rob you've got 60 business coaches mm. around the world mm. um something i'm particularly interested in here is dealing with the different cultures mm. Different cultures have very different ways mm -hmm. of doing things, obviously mm -hmm. different ways of thinking, different ways of communicating and with the different levels of the organisation. How do you mm -hmm. deal with that in, in your transformation process? Yeah, sure. Look, we deal with it sensitively. Let's let's be clear. It's, um, we try to help the organisation by only being sort of one, one or even a half a step ahead of them. We know what's possible, but they don't yet. And 
they've got to be on it's their journey is unique to them so when we're for example when we're working in singapore for example or in any of um you know places like um jakarta or places like that you're finding that they've got a much more traditional lens on the world and hierarchy is a pretty big thing for them and um and so and so and so so is politics they're a little bit more wrapped up in all of that than say an australian or new zealand based company. So what we need to do is is we need to modify our approach to that so that we're, um, we, we come at it with empathy for them. Um, if we were to tell them that they're 10 years behind um, their corporate thinking, that's not going to sit well with them. <laughs> so what we need to do is just help them be, you know, eight years behind instead. <laughs> so we, we kind of work with them to make sure that we're we're not going to um, we're not going to hurt them in the process. We're trying to build, help them be better better organisations, better leaders, better practitioners. And the same, and then we go to places like New Zealand and um, and um, I don't know the United States, places like that. You know, in terms of their people thinking, so the way they want to engage with their staff, what they want their staff to bring. So rather than being told, you know, you just need to do what I'm telling you, they're actually being asked, can you can you show us um, an alternative way of thinking? Can you can you be creative? Can you be innovative? And to do that, you have to unlock these people. You can't lock them down um, through that sort of hierarchical model. So, so yeah, I think wherever you are around the world, you just need to be empathetic about the kinds of um, cultures that we're working with, what works for them, what doesn't, mm-hmm. and then just look to shift them just a little bit. Rob, for all the leaders who are listening to us today, mm-hmm. um, what is the one piece of advice that you'd be giving to leaders of organisations in in the type of environment that we're living in today, which is changing so rapidly? Mm-hmm. We're a very human-centric organisation. So the one thing I, um, I would always be coaching the executive in organisations to do right now is to be putting their people first. The thing is, when people have in the past looked at what, their, how their organization functions, they really do look at the processes, um, they look at the policies, they look at all these different things. But processes, policies, frameworks, methodologies, they don't deliver any value at all um, at, in terms of the customer value. People do. And so your true strategic asset is your people. And right now your people are suffering. And so especially in the moment of, you know, they're seeing what's happening in market, they're seeing that your organization itself wants to change, that, that makes them somewhat fearful and then if your organization isn't changing, that potentially makes them even more fearful. So right now, if you're a leader in an organization, my first suggestion would be if you really want to connect with, you know, enable your organization to be a better organization, you need to be connecting with your people. And I'd be doing that very much more often. And I'd be putting them first in everything I do, because ultimately they're the ones that are going to deliver to you your future state. Consequently, treat them like family. You know, look after them. The talent market right now is really hot. Like if, if you want to keep these really good people, then you need to be looking after them like they are family. So my, my first advice would be, you know, look to your people and make sure that they're okay. Mm, I think that's a very, very valuable advice indeed, Rob, especially in today's world. Um, we, we really appreciate your time today. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you with us uh, chatting to us today on the Stock Insiders podcast. Rob, thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks for the um, opportunity to be here. And of course, thanks to all of our supporters. Also, you are listening to Stock Insiders with me, Oriel Morrison. We'll see you next time. This episode of the Stock Insiders podcast with me, Oriel Morrison, was sponsored by Barclay Pierce Capital, Australia's leading corporate advisory and equities trading firm. Barclay Pierce Capital provides specialised corporate advisory and equities trading services to privately owned businesses, small to medium sized public and ASX listed companies.